Welcome and thanks for joining us. My name is Sam Anwar Sesha, Director of the Museum of Colour and your host for this series, My Words Donations. As part of the My Words exhibition at the Museum of Colour, we have invited a number of poets to donate objects to our digital collection. These are items that have a real significance to them and their creative journeys. This series is a chance to hear the stories behind those donations. And coming up, we'll be talking with Jacob Samner Rose. Hello, hi, I am Jacob Samler Rose. I am a poet primarily. I'm also a facilitator, program director, creative director, a range of different things that basically all come back to writing poetry, sharing poetry, helping other people to write and perform poetry, creating spaces for people to engage with creative expression. I've been doing that for most of my life now. And yeah, that is pretty much what I do. And it is who I am. How would you actually describe your work? And when I say work in this instance, I mean your poetry. I would describe my work as, at the moment, evolving. I'm I'm having this really wonderful time with my own writing practice where I'm I'm expanding the sense of what it is that I do. There was a period of time in my early writing where a lot of my writing was focused on kind of personal narrative, observational work, uh, capturing moments and epiphanies. And over the years, my work has become a lot more exploratory, a lot more about the wider world, a lot more about the human experience on a broader level. So there's this kind of connection between the personal and the profound, I hope, in what it is that I'm doing now. So Jacob, you've spoken about your poetry, but can you tell me a little bit about the other work that you do? Because you're mentoring, you're editing. What got you into that? What started me in all of the other work that I do, there's a Guyanese phrase I can quote this correctly, your eyes are bigger than your stomach, is what they say. It basically means you you have a bigger appetite than you perhaps should have. More seriously, though, I don't know. I just, everything comes from a position of love, care, attention, and wanting to support other people in doing what it is that they can or want to do. That's the bottom line, right? So yeah, I run a program at the Barbican, Barbican Young Poets. Started that 12 years ago through that program. Hundreds and hundreds of young poets and writers have passed through and have developed their poetic careers. Beyond that, less formally, I've supported the development of a range of different other poets and writers. Um, I've spent a lot of time in classrooms up and down the country and across the world. And none of this has been career move as such. I'm very invested in poetry. I'm very invested in what it is that we do when we express ourselves through language. And I'm very invested in creating opportunities and spaces for other people to engage with that. Fantastic. So, Jacob, when did you know yourself to be a poet? That's a really interesting question. I started writing when I was in my early teens, from the best of my memory. 
And obviously that's, you know, the, the kind of writing that I was doing then, no one needs to ever experience any of the poems that I was writing when I was 13 years old. But yeah, that's when I started really putting weight behind the pen and the page and trying to figure out what it might mean to work through poems and to live and breathe and see the world through poems. That sense of claiming an identity as a poet, however, I think came much later on down the line. And I'm not sure if there is a specific moment when I would say, ah, yeah, that was the moment when I really thought of myself as a poet. I do remember a moment when I was hopping on a train and bumped into a school friend. I must have been in my mid-twenties or something like this, and I'd been performing and I'd had work published for a good few years at that point. Yeah, I bumped into an old school friend. We hadn't seen each other since school. We did the whole kind of exchange. Oh, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, what are you up to? And, you know, that person was working in, I think it was banking or finance or something. I started by saying, yes, I am a writer. The response then was, okay, what do you write? Okay, yes, I I write poetry. And there was this really interesting exchange in terms of how it is we validate what it is that a writer does and how it is that you define yourself as a writer. Because like I say, at that time, I didn't have a body of published works. I didn't have my own collection at that point. I had been published in different journals and things, but I didn't have a book with my name on it. And there was this moment where the conversation kind of tailed off because once you call yourself a writer or a poet or anything within that field, um, for people outside that field, the next recognizable milestone is, is it in the bookshop? Can I go purchase so on and so forth? So I do remember that distinctly as this moment of kind of self-reflection. Can I really call myself a poet, an artist, a writer, or any of these things if I don't have this thing, this artifact that other people will recognize as the real deal. And because I work with a lot of young writers, I kind of celebrate the fact that if you're doing the work, regardless of the accolades, the artifacts, the merits, whatever it is, if you're doing the work, then by all means claim the name if that's what you're kind of inclined to do. But I do remember that as a moment of, ah, hmm, how do I actually make sense of this? But also that you claimed it. And it sounds really clear that you claimed it and had to sort of restate it because it wasn't just that you were a writer. You then had to say, I am a poet. Yeah. So we have asked you to donate two objects to the museum, but I am also interested in your relationship with museums. And how do you feel about now being in one? I love museum spaces and gallery spaces Whether it is the museum or whether it is the art gallery, the art exhibit, these are spaces that I love to be in. There's something of the sacred, I think, in these kinds of spaces. There is this notion of being able to approach, whether it's some sense of history, some sense of culture, some sense of art and creative practice, whatever it is, a venue or a space, any space dedicated to such things. I love the architecture of many of the museums that I've experienced. Again, that whole sense of a space that's dedicated to specific artifacts, to specific aspects of human experience. So yeah, museums and galleries are, are some of my cherished spaces. Shout out to the libraries as well. Much love for libraries. Um, the notion of being within a museum, well, you know, if I appreciate the value of museums and galleries and these kinds of spaces, then yeah, the notion of being contained within one or being enshrined within one is an absolute joy. I can go back to my mother and say, Mum, I made it again. 
another accolade, another notch on the whatever post we're keeping notches on. I'm in a museum now. Um, yeah, much joy. <laughs> much joy. Um, so let's get to your donations. So tell us about your first donation. What does it mean to you and why do you want to share it? I actually put forward three and I know I was a bit cheeky in that regard because I was asked to put forward two, but I had a bit of an issue just, just kind of, you know, limiting it down to just the two. So I guess my first object or artifact would have been a collection of Keats poetry. And this was um, a body of Keats poetry that I had to study at school. And it's the, it's the very same book that I actually had when I was a, a teen studying English literature at school. And it still has all of my handwritten notes in from so many moons ago. And it's a really lovely artifact for me personally, because it really does represent some of my first experiences of poetry. And even though that book is a body of more classical literature, it was still a gateway for me. It was a way in to poetry that kind of started things off for me. It was a point of inception. Fantastic. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your second object. All right. So I think the second object was a keyboard. So I, I wear my my geek colours with pride. I'm a very kind of tech influenced and impacted person. I grew up with very early home computers. Computers have worked their way into my creative practice computers as tools, computers as instruments, computers as creative collaborators. I do a lot of programming, generative text engines as part of my poetry. So the second artifact that I put forward was this, um, it's called a corn keyboard, C-O-R-N-E. It's basically a split ergonomic mechanical keyboard, but basically it's one of these keyboards that exists in two halves that are completely separate from each other. It's completely wireless. So um, yeah, it's a fantastic typing experience. I, I kind of half built it myself, got some of the pieces sent to me, put it together, and then added some of my own components. So there's this real sense of kind of DIY. There's this real sense of being invested in my own tools, kind of making things that allow me to make other things. But also it's it's kind of representative of my relationship with technology. One of the joys of mechanical keyboards is that you get to program them. So you get to define exactly what it is that they do. And, you know, that's that's kind of a weird thought. It's a keyboard, right? You press a key, it puts a, a letter on the screen corresponding to the letter that you pressed and whatnot. But there are all these kinds of macros and functions that you can program into a keyboard and you can set it up so that it works in exactly the way that it works for you. Oh, and I should say this, I've, I'm kind of rambling on, assuming that everyone can see this thing. It only has 36 keys. I can't remember exactly how many keys a regular keyboard has. But this has far fewer. So that whole notion of kind of programming it in certain ways that allow you to do things with keys that people wouldn't expect is kind of essential to working with that kind of thing. So it's very small. It's very minimal. It's beautifully designed. It's very idiosyncratic. It's set up in a way that makes complete sense to me and probably would baffle a fair few other people. But yeah, it's a fantastic representation of, again, a relationship with technology, a relationship with tools, and not just being a user of tools, but being invested in the way that these tools are put together. And I think there's something important about that in our modern age, 
I think there's something important about consumers being empowered to engage with the things that they are consuming or using, being empowered to consider where it is that the components for their tools come from and not taking this kind of stuff for granted. I think it serves us all to just be aware of our impact on the world. And again, you know, I started by talking about a keyboard and now I'm talking about climate crisis or climate change. But I think there is a, a, a path from one to the other. And I think it's, again, I think it's useful for us to be aware of what it is that we use, how it is that we use these things. What I'm hearing when I listen to you talk about this keyboard is also the you in it, because you are also a maker and a thinker. For me, this particular donation really combines the many elements of Jacob. And what the listeners will not know, but I am going to share, is that when the donations came in to be photographed, a couple other poets were present who knew you. And when they looked at the keyboard, they were like, yes, Jacob. (laughs) So on to your next donation. The final donation was uh, Bronica Camera. Bronica, E-T-R-S-I, six by four, five. Again, I'm talking lots of numbers and strange words and things, but basically it's an old medium format camera. So on the surface, you might look at this thing and say, this has nothing to do with poetry. You're a poet, dude. You've already started talking about a keyboard. How does this camera come into it? So for a period of time, as I was developing my practice as a writer, I found that photography was a beautiful counterbalance to what it was that I was doing as a writer. So with my written work, I'm very considered, I'm very much about editing. Some people sit down and get that kind of initial draft of the poem in one sitting and, you know, they're done and whatever. Me personally, I kind of write in bursts and fragments. I'm always chipping away at things, but more often than not, I'm, I'm editing things and pulling things together. And working with a camera, learning to work with a camera for me, was very different from that because I was very much invested in capturing moments, capturing unassuming moments, unposed moments, nothing choreographed. I was very into street photography. So the camera represents a counterbalance. It represents a complementary practice. It represents a, a certain meditative process whereby I used to just go out and wander the streets of London or whatever city it was that I was in at the time and just be very present and just be very alive and just keep my eyes open, pardon the cliche, to whatever it was that was around me. And yeah, it represents a lot of joy for me, this camera. To, to speak about the artifact just a little bit, it's a gorgeous box camera. So it's a very old film camera and it's not a traditional 35mm camera, which a lot of people will be used to. It's a medium format camera, which means the film that you actually run through it, they're really large and you get them in these kind of rolls or canisters and you only get, I think it's 12 shots per roll. So not only did you have to have this kind of process of being present as a photographer, you also had to bear with this notion of scarcity, this notion of I've only got 12 shots on this roll before I have to change the rollover. And changing the rollover was no easy process. 
yeah, to go through this kind of arcane process of winding the film on, popping one out and then popping the new one in, making sure the old one wasn't exposed to the light and all this kind of thing. So there was this real investment in practice, real investment in the awareness of the art form that you're working with, as well as that kind of meditative letting go when you're actually being present for the actual taking of photos. So yeah, there was so much that that camera represented for me. It's one of the reasons I was just like, yeah, I know you said two, but um, how do I choose? How do I choose? If we're talking about representing my practice, hmm, which one? So yeah, this is why we've got three. Uh, I'm really happy that we've got three and I'm hoping that listeners are able to also view it because it is beautiful. It really is. And the photographer who captured it for the museum looked at it and just smiled. which was also lovely to see. So we do have one last donation from you, which is one of your poems. So which poem have you chosen to donate? It's actually part of a poem. Um, So I've chosen to donate part of a poem that I was actually asked to write for the Barbican a while back. And the whole poem is kind of a series of four or five parts that were all dedicated to the life of Jean-Michel Basquiat, an artist who, yeah, had an impact on me and my thinking around creative practice and the whole notion of what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable, how it is you make it into an artistic sector and perhaps redefine what is considered to be art within that sector. There was a lot about his work that spoke to me when I was a, a younger artist upcoming. So yeah, I've chosen a part of this poem, it's the third part of it. One thing I will say about this, again, to tie it back into some of the things that I've been speaking about, there's a kind of a tech angle to this. So with this poem, in the writing of it, I've been drafting material for weeks and weeks and weeks and wasn't really feeling anything from what it was that I was writing and editing and trying to shape. And just a few days before the commission was due, I scrapped everything, said, this isn't working. And instead, I kind of gathered together all of the material that I'd been working on thus far, gathered together a lot of other text related to the exhibition, the catalogue for the exhibition that hadn't been published at that point, but would have been published in support of the exhibition, a lot of other thinking, a lot of other text, and basically wrote a computer program, um, a generative text engine that drew in all of this text randomized it, created these other forms, these other bits of poetic text and fragments and whatnot, and then drew upon that and wrote some new material off the back of that computer-generated works. And this is part of what came out of that, essentially. And this, this part of the poem is called Ascension, and it reads like this. When Jean-Michel gets home, He is barely 20 years old and plays broadly himself, but rising to celebrity status, to document all the cockeyed hagiography of New York. In the spring of 82, a rumour starts to swell. A gallerist, a genius, a basement, he's alive. And nothing done before by a black kid. Making wild masterpieces out of nowhere. Odes to the mutability of language. At the very moment, the East Village turned from a burned-out wasteland inhabited by addicts to the power status of the day. 
Knew every inch of that old, oft-referenced Yoruba trickster whose names continue to attract major attention. Every inch of that boom for real in popularity. What do the pictures show you? In the copy and paste sampling of the young black men. Those who escape. Their spirits. Broken. Thank you to Jacob Sam LaRose for being part of our exhibition and donating to the Museum of Colour. To view the donations photographed by Sharon Wallace and the portraits by Derek Kakembo, head to www.museumofcolour.org.uk where you can explore the rest of the My Words exhibition and discover our growing digital collection. My Words Donations is presented by me, Sam Noir Sesha, and is produced by Stella Sabin for the Museum of Colour. Further episodes of this series are available across all podcast platforms where you can also listen to our previous project, Respect Duke. The music you have heard in this series is by the fabulous Randolph Matthews. You can listen to more of his work at www.randolphmatthews.com. My Words is supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund, Arts Council England and the Foyle Foundation. Museum of Colour is incubated at People's Palace Projects, based at Queen Mary University, London. Thank you for listening. <laughs>